0: Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal to help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to episode 457 of the podcast. It's Carrie here. I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Well, we're going to be talking about all things Enneagram with Beth and Jeff McCord. And also, I've got a what I'm thinking about segment because I got something on my heart at the end. Today's episode is brought to you by Metashare. They have a 98% customer satisfaction rating and an average member savings of 50% or more. Find out how much you could save on healthcare by going to slash carry and by Red Letter Challenge. Get their done for you 2022 40 day challenge by going to redletterchallenge.com slash carry. And pastors, while you're there, you get a free book, no strings attached. Well, it's good to have Beth and Jeff McCord. I know a number of you listen to their podcast, have read their books. And we're going to talk about how to handle the tricky side, that is the people side of team leadership, using the Enneagram to diffuse tension, and how to get the best from your leaders. Beth and Jeff McCord are the founders of Your Enneagram Coach, Beth is a best-selling author, speaker, and coach. She's passionate about coming alongside individuals and helping them understand and interpret their story. Her and her husband created Your Enneagram Coach, and they have spent years training under top Enneagram experts. Beth is now leading the way in simplifying the deeper truths of the Enneagram from a biblical perspective. So you can learn more about them at yourenneagramcoach.com. And hey, leaders, I just hope you guys are doing okay. It is a tough go out there right now. And I know we're well into the fall. And that's why at the end of today's episode, I want to talk to you about your pace and uh, some things I've been thinking about leading when you're chronically exhausted, etc. So make sure you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you're probably looking ahead to 2022. And that means it's once again that time of year, open enrollment season. It's a dreaded yearly task of diving into the mountain of paperwork and research, trying to find the best healthcare option for you and your family. We want two things when it comes to our healthcare: trust and affordability. So with a 98% customer satisfaction rating and an average member savings of 50% or more, MediShare checks both of those boxes. MediShare is an affordable alternative to health insurance that allows members to share one another's medical bills. They offer access to 900,000 plus healthcare providers and have a proven 27-year track record. They're a trusted name. And another thing is they offer free and unlimited virtual professional counseling To their members. So that's an awesome feature. And right now is the best time to make the switch. Find out how much you can save by going to metashare.com slash carry. That's M-E-D-I-S-H-A-R-E dot com slash C A R E Y. Metashare.com slash carry. Hey pastors, I also want to tell you about my friends at Red Letter Challenge and how they can help you with their done for you resources. Leadership is complicated enough. Have you ever done a done for you campaign? Um, If you haven't, I'll tell you, it's fantastic. Red Letter Challenge will help you see 40% growth in small groups in just 40 days. Or what about this? One leader who ran Red Letter Challenge said, All of my key leaders are stretched thin, wearing multiple hats, and we just don't have the time to create a church-wide series with all the bells and whistles. Another leader said, I really want to bring momentum and energy to our church, especially back into our small groups. And okay, one last one. Our church just feels so divided right now. It's so hard to get everyone attending in person and online and to feel connected. So you might be saying, yeah, I recognize that. Well, that's what Red Letter Challenge can help with. It brings unity. Everybody from kids to adults can dive into the words of Christ for 40 days and get invited into something that is bigger than themselves. And it's done for you. So there really is no better time to launch a 40-day church-wide series than the new year. No matter the size of your congregation, let the Red Letter team help you see huge wins as your people become greater followers of Jesus. So to get the 2022 40-day challenge, go to redletterchallenge.com carry. That's redletterchallenge.com slash C-A-R-E-Y. And pastors, when you're there, you'll get a free book, No Strings Attached. So with all that said, let's dive into my conversation with Beth and Jeff McCord. Well, Jeff and Beth, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here.
1: Yay, thanks for having us. We're so excited.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you guys have been um, digging into the Enneagram for a while. For those of you who are new, leaders who are new to the whole idea of Enneagram, we've had Ian Cron on a few times before. Uh, But can you give us an idea of why anybody in leadership should even care about the Enneagram? And true confession, you know this. I thought it was a fad before I really became a convert. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah well, it, we wondered that as well. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it kind of comes across, especially nowadays, as a fad, right? People yeah. are using it in all sorts of ways, and uh, you know, a lot of ways that I don't think are, are always helpful. Um, but if you're a leader and you find that your coworkers aren't getting along, they don't understand each other, they keep getting stuck. You as a leader, you can't seem to figure out how to talk with your your team in a way that encourages them or spurs them on. You kind of keep finding yourself stuck and you don't understand how to get out of it. And the Enneagram is going to be a super helpful tool because it gives you um, astonishing clarity into why people think, feel, and behave in particular ways. So the Enneagram is just a nine-pointed geometric figure. It looks like a nine-pointed star. And it's showing that there are nine valid perspectives of seeing, interpreting, and reacting to the world. And so if you think of those nine points on a star, um, each of them is one of the main personality types. Think of them as all in different colors. And let's take those colors and put them as glasses. So all three of us, Carrie, you, Jeff, and I all have glasses on right now. Mm. And it seems like we're all kind of seeing them in the same way, right? Like they're just clear glasses. But in actuality, all three of us are different Enneagram types. And so it's like I'm wearing purple, you're wearing a deep red, and Jeff is wearing an orange color. Now, the Enneagram, those are just the colors our logo has. So it's not that each color has specific meaning. But what that means is that we are seeing, interpreting, and reacting to the world differently. Yet, we walk around this earth and in our businesses as if everyone should be seeing and doing and thinking the same way that we do. So we get... Agitated and frustrated, discouraged, um, uh, irritable when people don't think and, and do what we think they should do, which is our way, right? The right way. So the Enneagram is going to bring that astonishing clarity. But where it's really powerful is if you think of it like an internal GPS. Hmm. So, Carrie, for you, you're a type eight, I'm a nine, Jeff's a six. <laughs> now, for each of us, when we each get into a car, our navigation system automatically knows where we're starting from. Well, to use the Enneagram, you need to know your main Enneagram type. And we'll get into that probably a little bit later. But you want to find the type that has your core motivations, your core fear, your core desire, core weakness, and core longing. Once you find that main type, that's your current location. But each of us have a place where we're trying to get at, which is the healthiest uh, version of ourselves which really is how God created us to be. So in the garden, when God created us, we would reflect him perfectly, but we're on the side of the fall. And so we sin, we fall short. And so that's like, let's say for me, let's say my perfect destination is going from where we live now in Nashville to Kansas city, where my parents are. We're just going to pretend if I start from Nashville, but I start heading off to Chicago that's not going to be helpful. I need to know where my current location is and where my healthiest destination. So for me as a nine, it's not about becoming an eight, a healthy eight. It's not by becoming a healthy one or all these other numbers. How has God called me to reflect him? Because we're the body of Christ. There is great diversity in all the nine numbers, and that's a beautiful thing. So how has God called us to be unique? And then when we veer off course, we want to have that rumble strip on the side of the road. And that's part of the Enneagram where it alerts us now. Oh, if I keep doing this, I'm going to fall into that same pitfall that I've always fallen into. How about I come back to the Holy Spirit, ask him for help and have him work in and through me into that healthier direction. And so it's really what we're talking about with the Enneagram. So if you can realize as a leader, wow. There are times in my leadership that I have veered off course time and time again. I kept falling to that same pitfall. I didn't understand why, but the Enneagram is showing me exactly what's going on and why it's happening. But not only that, it's giving me a trajectory of a healthier destination for me to go. And then I can bless my team by living out that healthiest uh, part of myself. That's really what we're trying to help leaders understand is it's not just about what you do. It's all about why you think, feel, and behave.
0: Yeah, so you know, for me, it's been a huge uh, help in terms of self-awareness, understanding how I'm wired, what motivates me. And eights are, uh, we're sort of, I don't know what you call it, the challenger. We're the people who don't like Mm -hmm. anyone to have power over us. So we're afraid of vulnerability. Uh, We don't want to be controlled. Uh, Jeff, how do you think, like for leaders listening. And we have a lot of leaders in the business sphere as well as the church sphere, but like knowing your team's Enneagram type, can that make you a better manager? Like how does that help Jeff in, in just leading teams?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Beth and I uh, found out about the Enneagram when I was in seminary in 2001. And so it's been a part of our pastoral career together uh, for over two decades What what I found, and and then in that time, I was also uh, a mediator with uh, Peacemaker Ministries um, when it was around. Um, uh, And one, it helps to get way upstream from conflict. So there's much greater understanding of not only what's happening inside of them, but also what is happening inside of me. So, you know, Jesus' words in uh, Luke 6, uh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. James 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they um, wage war uh, internally? And so by understanding what's happening inside of me, I'm able to extend the same kind of compassion and patience to those around me so that we're not just living reactively, but we can actually respond to one another in ways that are much more uh, organized internally uh, and much more compassionate for one another.
0: Mm, That's great. Uh, What would you say to people who think the Enneagram is overblown or just like not helpful?
1: Well, then they haven't dug in. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, if they've seen a lot of memes out there, uh, you know, unhelpful posts, and especially if they've experienced how people can weaponize it. Oh, well, of course, they're not going to think it's very helpful. And we're very adamant that people not use the Enneagram as a sword or a shield. You know, we don't want to hurt, belittle, tease, mock. Uh, bully anyone for how they've been created and their, you know, relational style, but we also don't want to use it as a shield, you know, especially as a leader, as a type nine, you know, here I started your Enneagram coach. I could easily say, Hey guys, sometimes nines procrastinate. You're just going to have to deal with it. Right. Like, but no, like, that does not bring about growth. It doesn't bring about anything good in our company. Now I can own it. I can say, guys, yeah, sometimes, you know, I can procrastinate because I get anxious. I don't really know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I want. Could you help me? You know, that's mm-hmm. a weak spot for me. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're just using the Enneagram correctly. But yeah, if someone hasn't, uh, dug it or people call it drink the kool-aid it's really because they haven't experienced that astonishing clarity that the enneagram can bring and accelerated growth that everyone experiences when they take it seriously
2: yeah so well, um, and i think too
1: you know one yeah of the go ahead is that,
2: um the enneagram came out of more of a spiritual tradition versus a western uh more well studied and researched and so what mm-hmm. you're finding right now particularly for us at your enneagram coach i mean we we reach millions of people globally. And so we're now having universities contacting us for research that not only has started, but research that's going to continue to come out uh, here in the future that's going to put it right at the level of all the other uh, great tools that are out there.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. It's it's really enjoyed a renaissance. It's been around for centuries. Uh, we've had Ian Cron do this. Uh, so I know there are some people who listen to every single episode, but I would love your like really quick 10-second, 30-second take on each Enneagram type. Just for people who are new or who can't remember, um, I could do it, but you'll do a way better job. So what? (laughs) we'll start, there's nine numbers. I'm an eight. We've already got a six and a nine. So Jeff, you're a six, I heard. And Beth, you're a nine. What, um, just start at one and maybe walk us through just the really hyper short elevator pitch for what each type is so that every listener can find themselves a little bit in the story.
1: Yeah. yeah. So the type ones are the principled reformers. They fear being inaccurate, wrong, uh, bad, evil, corruptible. They're desiring to be good, virtuous, and right. The type twos are the nurturing advisors, and they fear being unwanted, unloved, and unneeded. They're just wanting to be loved, accepted, and appreciated. The type threes are the admirable achiever, and they fear being a failure, incompetent, worthless. What they desire is to have great worth, value, and be admired, and to have high status and a high image. Mm-hmm. Now, the type fours are the introspective individualists, and they fear being uh, emotionally cut off, mundane, uh, original, plain. Uh, for them, they desire to be their most authentic self, to be special, to be unique. Now, type fives are uh, the individualist investigators. And for them, they fear being um, uh, obligated to have, uh, to be incompetent and incapable, uh, to not have knowledge, to be ignorant. For them, they desire to have all of the knowledge they need to press forward and to be able to dive deep into any given subject, but also to have enough internal resources to get that done. Um, Now, the type six is the faithful guardian. They fear being without support, guidance, and security to be blamed, targeted, and definitely abandoned. And what they desire is that security, uh, guidance, and support. Now, the sevens are the enthusiastic optimist. And for them, they fear being emotionally, uh, I'm sorry, they they fear being trapped in emotional pain, limited, Mm. deprived, and definitely missing out on something fun. For them, they're looking to be happy, fully satisfied, and content. The type eights, which is you, the passionate protectors, they fear being uh, harmed, controlled, uh, challenged, and definitely left at the mercy of injustice. For them, they're looking to be uh, the protector of themselves and those in their tight inner circle. And the last but not least is my type, the peaceful accommodators. We fear any kind of conflict or tension, We fear being overlooked and unimportant. And we definitely are wanting inner stability and peace of mind. So that, Mm. in a nutshell, is all the nine types with their core fears and their core desires.
0: And everyone has a strength and a weakness, right? There's some good parts of every type. And and, uh, do you agree that there are healthy and unhealthy expressions of each
1: type? If anything about the Enneagram, I think that's one of the most important aspects of the Enneagram. And you know, we call it being aligned, misaligned, and out of alignment of truth. And when you're aligned with what is true, you're going to live that out. The overflow of your heart comes there. Um, but then when we're starting to get misaligned, it's kind of autopilot. We're starting to uh, react to life instead of being proactive and, and very aware, of. we're just reacting. And then being unhealthy or out of alignment, man, can be absolutely destructive for yourself and all your relationships. So we really want people to understand that no matter what type you are, there's no best type. All types at their healthiest are amazing. And all types at their worst are literally the worst. (laughs) (laughs) So no no one can take the prize and no one gets the worst. So you know, we just want people to recognize that's why the Enneagram is so helpful because it really shows who you can become.
0: So we don't have to go through every type, but you can if you want. But I'd love you to random, again, people love to, uh, again, this is free consulting, right? So people want to know, when am I unhealthy? When am I not unhealthy? Yes. What would be an example of like an unhealthy one? The person who has to make everything right, perfectionist tendencies, and then pick a few other types. You can pick on me and maybe <laughs> what an unhealthy five or six would would be like yeah, don't you know, to pull numbers out, that out of hat, <laughs> to where you want. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, yeah. So the type ones, um, for them, when they're struggling, they're definitely definitely going to be hypercritical. They're going to see all the flaws, and it's because they have an inner critic that sees all the imperfections of life and in people and in themselves. And it's like a megaphone at the type ones year That inner critic is constantly berating them. And getting them to either fix it themselves or get someone else to fix it, um, and it's relentless.
0: So is this a dilemma? You go to the desk at work of a Type One. Everything's perfectly organized. You open up their stationary drawer. The pencils are sharpened. They're all lined up, and you think this person has it all together. Like they should come to my house and organize everything. But inside, there's this like super harsh critic.
1: Oh, it's it's relentless, and I I I think that's why the Enneagram can be so powerful. Because when you can see past any facade, because we can all put a facade on, mm. if you look past that, you're gonna see brokenness and you're gonna see why they do what they do. So for the type ones, that critic, the inner critic, is relentless. I just, I constantly say it's berating them. And it is making, trying to make them perfect and others perfect and the world perfect. And as we all know, we're on this side of the fall and it's just not going to happen. And so it's exhausting. And so when anyone brings criticism to the type one, what they have to realize is they already had a hundred or thousand fold of criticisms aimed at them from their inner critic already. So if you feel that they're too sensitive or prickly or kind of bite back, it's because they've already dealt with all of that. And usually it's kind of like a coffee cup when you pour coffee in it, um, you know, and it starts to spill over. Hmm. Well, that's kind of what's happening with a type one. When you start to feel criticism coming outside of the type one, it's because they've already dealt so much with criticism aimed at them that it, from the inner critic that it's overflowing into how they're reacting to those around them. And so to understand that, it can give you empathy. What
0: does an unhealthy or misaligned one do? How do they act out at work? How would you feel the impact of a misaligned, unhealthy? Yeah, well, what's
1: interesting is that though they're going to feel great resentment inside, and the resentment comes where they feel they're the only adult in the room. Like, no one else is, like, doesn't everyone else see these imperfections? Because we all think we see the world the same way. So ones think everyone else sees these imperfections, and they're choosing not to take care of it. So it brings up resentment. But to be resentful or angry in the mind of a one means that's being bad and wrong, which is one of their core fears. So they, they come at it from a different place than just being angry. Like a type eight might just say it like it is, you know, like, right. hey, let's get at this, you know. Whereas a type one is going to bring it with more logic and a reason and not so much of a bite, except you're going to feel it kind of come out sideways. You're going to feel a, a little bit of prickliness. You're going like to feel passive aggressive the, a bit? It's a little bit of passive aggressive, but it's just, it's, it's a slight coldness, but they're trying to be warm. You can feel the criticism underneath, or they will say what needs to be done or tell you where things are wrong, but they're going to try to do it in a warm way, but you can just feel that bite under the surface. And that's usually when they're struggling, when it's really built up inside them. And that's where we can come alongside our type ones and kind of help to advocate for them by letting them know you've done a great job seeing what needs to be perfected. And I really appreciate your detailed eye on things. Um, And it seems like right now you might be really under the gun or feeling the pressure to get things right or to make things perfect. Is that true? And so by coming alongside them can really mean the world to them.
0: That's super helpful. So let's dive in, Jeff or Beth, on another type and pick it apart that way. Because now I think it's coming into need H- for
2: leaders. Yeah, sure, we can. Uh, you can comment on the enneagram stuff, and I'll well, elaborate. You,
1: we'll tell everyone about your, the sixes.
2: Well, I, uh, at at our best, um, we're loyal, and and our loyal uh, trumps everything else. As a matter of fact, when you when you how we use all of our gifts, all of our knowledge, it's all in trying to find security in relationship uh, with someone else or even a system of belief. And so it's not so much about, i it's very selfish in the sense that I want security, but it's also about other people. So it can look at times very accommodating to other people. It can look very people pleasing. Now, Sixes are a little bit more dynamic than some other types because there's two types of sixes. And there's one six that's very uh, phobic, fearful. And there's another six that's more reactive and they call that counterphobic. And they they actually look like eights at times. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, they all have fear.
2: But they all have fear and everything is negotiating around that fear. So when it comes to organizations and contributions to the team, Uh, sixes oftentimes will Mm overperform, trying to find security, trying to, will will you prove your loyalty to me as much as I'm proving to you? Mm -hmm. The the biggest message that you can give to sixes, whenever you start to see anxious behaviors, passive aggressiveness, there, it's almost, at at times, um, they can be uh, very enmeshed. And then we can also be very distant and independent. And you never quite know where a type six can be. And it can feel a little chaotic. But the biggest thing that you can give to a six as a leader is engagement. Mm. And to stand with them in the midst of the storm and saying, hey, I'm here. We're good. You're good. You're doing a great job. And. And what you'll find is, is that the more that you're able to, what we call a non-anxious presence, to offer a non-anxious presence to a type six, the more their interior. So if if a one has a uh, critic, a six has an inner committee. They've got a ton of voices, that includes a (laughs) critic, that they're trying to answer to to make sure that they're the best that they can be for uh, their leaders and their teams.
0: So I don't know that I have this right, and a little knowledge is dangerous. And that's what I have about the Enneagram, <laughs> although I have done some research. Is it true that the Enneagram six can—because I'm convinced, every from what I know, that everyone who answers to a board, which is most church leaders and a lot of business leaders, they have a six on the board. And as I learned about the Enneagram, I thought, I think I have mistaken— what the sixes bring? Because are they the people, and I could be wrong here, who will often raise questions about the fifteen percent budget hike? Because boy, that's ambitious. How do you know we're going to make it? And they will have a lot of questions up front, but be deeply loyal on the back end. Is that typical behavior for a six?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and it it really comes from that heart of protecting. So the loyal guardian protecting their team, that could be their church, their family, school, whatever team that is, they're definitely, and, they, and they're able to think through all the possibilities. That's the mm-hmm. thing. That's where the inner committee comes in. The intercommittee, Jeff has said, it's kind of like being in parliament in England where, you know, you got the main speaker who's speaking. And then all of a sudden, like, hey, we're going to be doing this folks. And then all of a sudden, everyone else is booing or hissing or cheering or, giving all their viewpoints all at the same time. And that's what it feels like inside a six. So Mm -hmm. a six in a meeting like that can think through all of the possibilities. Now, for those that have already made the decisions, we're gonna have a budget, we're gonna move forward in this area. And all of a sudden, here comes someone and they're asking all these questions. It can feel like they're not for the group or they're for the board, when in actuality, they're trying to prevent anything negative from happening. And so to come alongside them and say, wow, I can really see that you're, you know, being loyal and faithful and thinking through all the things. We really appreciate that. Do you think maybe next time we could set up a time where you could, you know, we could write up all those questions and and answer them ahead of time? You know, now we're not that, you know, they'll they'll still have questions when they get there, you know, there'll be even more questions, but to help bring a sense of, hey, we're for you too. And we want to help you to navigate all of the questions that you have that that are good and helpful, but maybe, 30 questions in one board meeting won't be as helpful. Well,
2: and, and there's a few people will experience what, what I call my, uh, our, our coaching director calls uh, my sixiness. Um, so when people are experiencing my sixiness, they can experience it in two ways. One, uh, there, it can come across as suspiciousness mm. of a leader mm. that I don't think you're taking good care of the team or the organization. Or number two, It's because I'm fiercely loyal and I don't want there to be a mistake that's going to harm the team or the organization.
1: Right.
2: So my engagement sometimes can bring an energy of suspiciousness or it can bring an energy of loyalty.
0: See, I am convinced you confirmed something. When I look back on my first decade in leadership, I think I had some sixes on the board who were actually very deeply loyal, which makes sense because when Mm -hmm. I inherited the churches I was leading at the time,
1: it's often mm-hmm. the most loyal
0: people who are the last people left. It's like, it's not going sure. down on my watch, right? <laughs> yes. And yes. I would interpret their questions as disloyalty. And right. I wish I could go back and see that. Because eventually I wean people like that off the board. You know, not in a bad way, but as an eight, I saw that as a yes. challenge.
2: And really well, what they were that's trying to do. of the fears do, of an eight is yeah. betrayal. Yeah. And yeah. so if if a six is seeing that maybe as an eight leader, you're not fully recognizing some of the decision, all the consequences of your decisions, uh, then it there's going to be a fight. And it's that's one of the things that earlier on that you mentioned about why the Enneagram is important, because it gives a language to understanding mm-hmm. that dynamic and to be able to have a vocabulary to name it in the moment.
1: And what's interesting is that eights, Definitely work off of a kind of a hierarchy. You know, there I am the leader, I'm the boss, and it's not because I mean obviously if if an eight's unhealthy, it's different. It's not because oh I have to be seen as the leader. Um, It's I've got your back, and I talked about Mm -hmm. this uh, when you did our podcast. Eights, I call them diesel snowplows, the big snowplows that you experience up in Toronto, because at their very best, they're making sure everyone is behind them and they're plowing a path so that everyone can get on that highway and get where they need to go. And they're the ones to take on the opposition and the hits and, and the strain that it that it takes to get the snow off the road or obstacles. Um, but for an eight, they can feel like, you know, hey, everyone get behind me. Where there's a six, what's interesting is they don't like hierarchy. They want everyone to be seen as you know, kind of on the same playing field, and so when someone comes in with with too much leadership and kind of telling people what to do, the six can get very provocative and start pushing and prodding to see, okay, well that's okay, but are you for us or are you just trying to tell us what to do? And so it can get very provocative and testing loyalties and seeing where everything is going to land. And so, but then that can really upset the eight because it's like, why are you challenging me? You know, and that's why this is so powerful, like you said, Jeff, is if we understand what's going on under the hood, we can actually have real conversations about what's going on versus assuming, and we call it a suicide, assuming incorrectly other people's thoughts, feelings, and motives which gets us in a whole heap of trouble.
0: Okay, well, this is really good stuff because uh, you know I need the first five years of my leadership back with a couple of key relationships based on <laughs> I just didn't know, and they didn't know. Sure. And when you're not aware of that, you end mm-hmm. up in a really, um, and it wasn't it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like headline stuff. It's just like you sure. end up hurting each other when you don't mean mm-hmm. to, which is so right. good. And, you know, I, I can think of some sixes in my life and every time it's like, well, you know, this could go wrong and that could go wrong and this could go mm-hmm. wrong and that could go wrong. And I'm like, ah, just do it, you know? But uh, <laughs> when you realize that that's, that's different wiring, it's super helpful. Okay, let's pick on yeah. another type. Let's do threes and sevens because- okay. They, I, my theory, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is many of the leaders, not all, but a lot of the leaders I work with, are threes, sevens, eights, twos, and yep. ones. Those are the most dominant types that show up mm-hmm. in my field. Not that there aren't nine sixes and fives and fours, but they tend to show up. So let's pick yeah. on uh, let's pick on threes. Uh, what do you call them again? I think of them as performers. These are yeah. the the uh,
1: admirable achievers.
0: They're achievers. So, yep. They're achievers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they are achievers. And man, they can be optimistic, hardworking. Uh, they can champion people. Um, they're the types of people that have lists and goals, and they are going to get those things done. But they can get really frustrated if others aren't as efficient as they are. And if others work, uh, kind of puts them in a bad light. You know, so mm. if um, they aren't as successful or it reflects poorly on them, that can get Three is really frustrated and upset. Um, A lot of it is
0: image related, right? A little bit image related. Yeah. I need to be seen as successful. Exactly.
1: So we talk about like, you know, Jeff was a place kicker in college and the saying, you're as good as your last kick. Well, for a three, it's you're as good as your last success. And Mm. so they're always striving for this next success, this next achievement. And But once they check it off, they're like, yes, I did it. Gold star, trophy, whatever you want to call it. For them, it's like five seconds of glory. And then it's like, oh, but wait, what's the next thing? You know, And they have to go on to that next thing and the next thing. And it's exhausting to always hold up a very specific image that they want to show others that are around them. And so for them, they're, they're constantly not realizing how exhausted they are because they're always running to the next thing.
2: Hmm. And the good news about threes, because it, at times, it's almost as if they don't see you because they're so focused on the goal and getting to the goal that people become instruments to get them to where they want to be. But when a three moves to health and starts to understand their own interior world and that they're the false self that they're portraying to everybody else as the achiever that everybody should admire, when they start to identify who they really are as people, then they start to see people on their teams and in their organizations uh, to move towards them so that it's not just them at their best at the expense of others, but they're at their best as they're bringing everybody else along with them.
0: Exactly. Hmm. And if you're leading a three, what are some keys to leading a three well?
1: Well, you had actually said it in our last podcast. and I was like, yes, that's absolutely correct. You definitely want to cheer them on. They really thrive well on affirmation and recognition. But really what they're hoping for is to be cared for, to be delighted in for who they really are. Now, they're constantly putting on these achieving masks and personas. But if you can kind of just get between all of that and say, hey, I see you. I really admire you and I like you it's really going to blow them away. And that can really help them to feel like, oh, you mean I don't have to achieve all the time? Like you like me, just for me. And that is gold right there. And what you're going to see is they're going to start to realize that they can start to come alongside everyone else and to be a champion on, their, on everyone's behalf versus just their own image. And that could be really dynamic. Mm-hmm.
0: Super helpful. Can we uh, talk about sevens?
1: sevens.
0: Enthusiastic, fun-loving.
1: Yes, yes. We call them the Enthusiastic (laughs) Optimist. Um, Man, they are just excitable. They love great challenges in their careers. They're innovative. Uh, They're some of the most creative on the Enneagram. Um, They're... There's no failure. Whereas for threes, it's all the fear of failure. For sevens, hmm. it's like failure. What are you talking about? This is a new opportunity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I fell out of the airplane with no shoot, but I walked away. So it was yeah. fine, right?
1: It was oh, fun. It's all good, right? <laughs> um, but for them where they can slip into, you know, trouble, especially being a leader is that they can lose focus. They can get really excited about a project or a new shiny thing, you know, but then they can lose focus because then they're off to the next shiny thing and then the next shiny thing. And so, and and they can really procrastinate with mundane tasks, which can be a real hardship for a leader, right? Because We all have things that we have to get done. Even if we have assistants that kind of help us along the way, there's still things that we have to do. And if they procrastinate or actually avoid them altogether, that can basically be a snowball effect where it just keeps uh, going down the hill. And eventually it could wipe out the whole team if it's not taken care of.
0: So you could almost be the leader because you hear about this all the time who like read a new book, went to a new conference, and all of a sudden the whole company is going to pivot and we're doing this. And the whole team knows for 30 days until you yes. read the next book or listen to the next podcast yes. or go to yes. the next event or have a new friend who told you this is the way. Is it that kind of personality that can show up at work as well? You yeah.
2: My initial thought is yes. And each Enneagram type would have their what reasons for doing that. Mm. So a mm. six might adhere to the book because they believe it to be true and it's going to answer all of their worst case scenarios. The five may be like, oh, this is well-reasoned, and I, based upon all of my mm-hmm. research, this is the best of the many voices on this particular subject. But mm-hmm. it is true, yes, sevens will do it because they may jump in immediately uh, to the excitement of a new idea and a new way to, re- mm-hmm. uh, to whether expand the business, scale the business, reach more people, impact more people's lives. But then once they see the next one or they see the limitations in this one idea, that they're looking for the next one to solve it because they, they don't want to be re- uh, constrained mm-hmm. by just one idea.
1: Yeah. Or limited or deprived of fun. Mm. Yeah. And, and for them, you know, once it's kind of like Christmas Day for kids, you know, we're, we're, we love the anticipation of Christmas Day then we get to Christmas Day and we open the presents in like five seconds. And then it's like, really, that's it? You know, and we're kind mm-hmm. of like let down because we built this huge thing in our mind. That's really what it's like for sevens on a daily basis. They're constantly mm-hmm. thinking of the next fun thing. It could be the next thing they eat, the next conversation they have. But for a leader, if it's that next book they read and that next project, well, once they get closer to the project and they start to see all the details that have to be done, the mundane tasks, the things that aren't fun. That's when they start to get a little antsy and they want to leap off into the next thing. And so they just have to recognize that this is um, something that they have to recognize and deal with and how they can grow. They can totally grow and being present in the moment, seeing all the possibilities around them and navigating some of those weaknesses so that they can continue on the path of that goal or that project and to get it actually done.
0: So you're giving them some guidelines to stay focused, to stay on mission, to stay on strategy, to say, let's not uh, pivot every 20 minutes here. Um, it's true or is it true that sevens struggle with pain. In other words, I keep going from adrenaline hit to adrenaline hit to avoid looking at the really big issues in life. How do you counsel that when you're leading mm. a 7? How do you do, or do you just avoid it? Do like you know, people with a 4 it's like oh they're leading with their
1: heart. Well if you're uh, a 9 you avoid it. Can,
0: you, what's that? <laughs>
1: If you're type nine, you, you might avoid it. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, right. there's, there's a great line. Uh, the author, Dan Allender, once said that if you can't get out of it, get into it. Oh. Um, mm. And, the you know, the idea with the seven, uh, I'm mindful. One of the type sevens uh, that comes to mind is from the movie Patch Adams. Oh.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it was when he was a doctor and he would go into the children's floor to bring joy to some of the kids that were suffering the most. The key here is that for a seven, when they hear no, they're thinking of that childlike part of their heart that's telling them they can't do something versus drawing something out of them that is very noble and admirable because sevens can bring joy and life to even some of the most sorrowful situations. And so it's appealing to their giftedness to bring life and ideas, but to use it as a superpower versus using it frenetically and without control or without restraint
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so if if sevens are able to sit in the mundane all the way to pain you know so there's a lot of in between there they can they they are remarkable at bringing life and abundance and joy to some of those dark recesses you know another great movie is inside out joy Mm -hmm. on inside Mm -hmm. out You know, she's trying so hard to get away of get rid of sadness, basically. (laughs) Like just to (laughs) shove her out somehow. Here, you stay in this circle, don't move. But at the end, what she recognizes it is the embrace of the joy all the way to the sorrow of life that makes it so rich and beautiful. And so that's when she realized, okay, we can have both and it actually be meaningful instead of trying to get rid of sadness. And so that's really, you know, what we see when we see sevens embrace the fullness of life. That's where they really excel.
0: Hmm. This is so helpful because, you know, when you start out in leadership or at least my journey, it's like you don't think any of these factors are in play. And then the longer you're at it, you're like, no, we're leading humans. And this is all in play at work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, and, and we all have responses to each of these types. I mean, like right. my response to a seven or to a type one yes. is very different than my wife's response to those. So it even for you as a leader, it helps to give vocabulary and compassion to yourself and understanding all these dynamics that are happening around you that maybe you didn't, weren't able to access before.
1: Yeah. I mean, just the knowledge of the Enneagram has really helped us lead our company. And for me as a nine, you know, I'm a peaceful accommodator. And if I were to just live in that position of just accommodation, that is not a good leader, right? You mm-hmm. know, we, there are things that have to get done. And, and the nines, what we struggle with the most is what's called sloth. And it's not a physical laziness. And in fact, um, nines can actually be the busiest on the Enneagram. And a lot of it's to avoid all the other things, but we're busy on, on the behalf of others. But we forget about ourselves. There's this internal fog. But I can't lead well unless I know myself and I lead from that interior part of the core of who I am and what I want. And really, what I want as a leader, I want my team to feel cared for, like almost like Camelot, where there's a round table, like everyone has a place at the table. I want your voice to matter. I want my voice to matter. I want your voice to matter. I want you to be seen and heard. I want you to excel where God has created you. That is a really beautiful thing. But if I don't adhere to it and stay strong in that, and I just start to accommodate when people are kind of, let's say, upset, or they want this or they want that, it can really uh, topple the whole system. But to know what I need and to go after it is so important. So using the Enneagram has been so helpful for me to be able to speak Specifically and with directness to any of the personality types, the way they need to be talked to,
0: mm-hmm. not the way
1: I want to, for people to talk to me.
0: Apparently, nines make great presidents as well. Uh, yes. I wonder if, if yeah. Lincoln was a nine.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, we think we think Lincoln, um, Reagan, Obama, probably Clinton. Um, at, at least those, and maybe Carter. There, there's mm. several presidents that were uh, nines, like uh, President Reagan. I would. Definitely believe he was a nine with an eight wing, which is actually me, um, though we use both our wings. Yeah, I definitely lean more into that eight space, which is great because it right. it helps me to get going to advocate and to have passion where my nine wants to chill out, you know, but well, you, can, yeah. you can see that that passion in Reagan.
0: Hmm. No, that's good because it's both sides of the aisle and that's what they have to do. The best presidents are bringing people together with wildly different opinions. If you watch the movie Team of Rivals or read uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin's book on Lincoln, he has that uncanny ability to reach into all kinds of factions, people who would never be in the same room, who come in the same room and achieve something nobody thought was possible. Okay, we're coming up on time, but let's talk about eights. My... My poison, <laughs> this, is, this is my unique form of thing. So what, what are the problems in working with eights? And Andy Stanley well, and I had this conversation in a previous episode, and we'll link to it in the show notes, but he has a number of eights on his team. And yeah, yeah. you know he's not, he's a one. So mm-hmm. he tends to be work too hard on stuff and be a perfectionist and want to get it just right. Mm-hmm. And he said, the eights were really weird because it takes him a while to figure out what he thinks. And the eights have an instant opinion They can charge hard. They can be loud. They can be dominating and intimidating. How do you lead eights? Yeah.
2: It's great. One of the interesting things about the Enneagram, Beth and I noticed that. uh, So when we started your Enneagram coach, the people who we hired first were typically eights. Wow. Because as first time entrepreneurs, and Beth being a nine, me being a six, where we're not leading with a very bold vision and we needed people to help us make decisions, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because we were actually addressing a blind spot. And it took us about a year like, wow, we, we, we've hired a
0: team of eights.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how did how so you not great.
0: let that intimidate you or have them take over to the point where you're both on
1: the unemployment we, we, we line? We know their heart. That's that's why ah, the Ingram is so beautiful. That's
2: right. So we were hiring eights whose hearts were in the right place. Yeah. So they weren't coming in saying, we're going to take over your business and make you a seven-figure business. They were saying, uh, Beth, at the time, we're going to help you to amplify your voice.
1: Yeah, your vision.
2: They were using their eightness on behalf of others, not for themselves.
1: And so when I understood, so with eights, where they can get stuck is by being too direct, too... Um, uh, yeah, too direct, blunt. My way or the highway. Um, I'm going to challenge you before you can challenge me. Uh, mm-hmm. Just real intense and have a, a sense of intimidation, even though they don't realize it.
2: I mean, Beth, I remember you calling it confrontational infant in- intimacy. intimacy. Yep. Uh, not oh, intim- it's true.
0: Int- if you're not yes. fighting yeah. with me, you don't love me.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: Which and did, I'm did not a bet. fighter. Like I'm not that guy online, no. but like. If we're going to get, if you're going to back off, it's a dislike, like, uh, what's the yes. word I'm looking for? Indifference drives me crazy. Yeah. Or there, people there's a movie in the Matrix back. movies
2: uh, that said that one guy was fighting Neo and at the end he said, you never know a man until you fought him. And mm-hmm. there's a sense to where that's what it was like for AIDS. Like, show me that you're going to match my energy mm-hmm. and that I can trust you and that you're going to engage in this mission to the same degree that I am. Because my but wife at, finds that
0: exhausting. But. Yeah, I was
1: just like, <laughs> <laughs> as a nine that goes against my entire core of my being. But here's what's amazing is with the team that we brought on and to, to see behind. So the eights have a strong exterior. But in fact, mm. they are some of the most tender on the Enneagram. And I've had mm. several eights in my life that showed vulnerability of that side of them. Um, which is very rare, but when you see it, you're amazed at the depth of, of tenderness and what they will do to protect those that they love. Once I got to see that, and I knew eights at the core, I was able to bring these people on the team because what they were saying is, Beth, we believe in your vision and what God is doing in and through you. And we're going to make sure that you don't slip into sloth again. We're going to make sure that we champion you and what God is doing in and through you. And I knew that their heart was always going to be for me and to protect me not to blindside me because that's their greatest fear and that's something that they're not going to do and, and they
2: still get out ahead of us at times well sure
1: they're eights and, I mean they
2: but yeah I, I know that they're they're attuned to me as a leader yeah um, they're not just out there on their own
1: yeah so sometimes they'll um, I think maybe you even said it earlier um, that eights they think that they can get so much done quickly and in actuality their team can't hold that much. And I was like, oh my mm-hmm. I think you said exactly. that on your
0: podcast. Yeah. yeah. And thank you I'm for like, having me, by the way. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's what we are experiencing right now. Like we have these big projects coming up and our COO, who's an eight, she's like, Yeah, we can totally get this done. And Jeff and I are looking at each other going, um, we know we've done this before. And it's gonna take a lot more time than this short amount of time. And she's totally willing to listen and to pivot, but in her mind, she can definitely make it seem like, oh, it's totally doable because as an eight, it is, it's confidence and assertiveness. But the coolest thing is when an eight knows that you have their back and that you support them and that you're going to protect them just as much, they'll listen to your leadership and they'll follow um, suit. And so it's just been great having them on our team because I know their loyalty is just out of the, I mean, it's out of the park, Right.
0: Right. Okay. Well, I got to ask, and thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. It's been a fascinating conversation that I think has helped a lot of leaders, but you have some great resources. You have a book, Becoming Us, that you co-wrote together. You've also got, what, 45 courses on all the different types, combinations of Enneagram, and you got a podcast. Tell us where they can find all things that you do, the McCords. Yeah, if you go to your Enneagramcoach.com,
2: uh, that's, this, that's the main page where all the resources are listed. But if you're new to the Enneagram, uh, we just launched this year a great free introductory video series that help you to find your type and understand all the nine types, and it's called
0: enneawhat.com.
1: Because everyone you. says, everyone goes, Enneawhat? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? brilliant. So any of what We that will link
0: to that in the show notes. I really appreciate you both. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and Thanks, uh, really, really helpful in even leading my own team. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Beth. Thanks, Karen. Well, I hope that conversation helped you figure out how to better lead a team and some of the nuances of the people that you are leading. I mean, we are in the midst of the great resignation right now. So I look for every edge that I can possibly get in leading people. You can find transcripts for this episode at kerrymuhhoff.com slash episode 457. want to thank you to our partners for this episode. Thanks to MetaShare, they have a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you can save up to 50% or more. Find out how you can save by going to medishare.com slash kerry. That's medishare.com slash kerry. Red Letter Challenge, if you're looking for Unity, done-for-you solutions, and so much more, Go to redletterchallenge.com slash carry. And while you're there, pastors, you get a free book, No Strings Attached. So that's for 2022 for you, 40-day challenge. Just head on over to redletterchallenge.com slash carry. We got a What I'm Thinking About segment. I want to think about the gateway drug to moral failure. It's actually exhaustion, and it's the gateway drug to a lot of things. And I know a lot of leaders, as we close these final weeks of 2021 are tired. And I just want to talk about that. I've been there as a leader. I have been tired in the past. And uh, it's just something from my heart to yours. But coming up, we got Kara Powell. And uh, I'm excited for you to hear that conversation. Here's an excerpt.
1: This generation of young people, they are an anxious generation. Uh, we, we know that even before the pandemic, they had quite high rates of mental health challenges, anxiety, depression, Uh, suicide even. And uh, according to CDC data, during the pandemic for young people, anxiety has tripled and depression has quadrupled.
0: Also coming up, Ken Coleman, Ian Cron, uh, Nikki Gumbel, Don Miller, Dave Hollis, Mark Sayers, and so many more. And if you subscribe, you get that all for free. Thank you so much for leaving ratings and reviews, sharing this on social media. I really appreciate it. And if you like this episode, I would love to have you check out some of the other stuff we do. If you head on over to uh, that website uh, where I write gets accessed about 7 million times a year. And I send out an email on a daily basis, almost daily basis, to over 85,000 leaders. And, uh, well, there's a lot of resources over at carrynewhoff.com If you haven't checked it out, I would encourage you to do it. Even if you misspell my name, you're probably going to find it. And in this What I'm Thinking About segment, I want to talk to you about exhaustion because a lot of you are leading tired right now. And I think what makes the last couple of years more frustrating than ever is usually hard work brings reward, right? You've worked really hard. So many leaders have told me I've never worked harder in my life. Uh, but for the last two years, hard work hasn't brought reward. It's brought stagnation or decline. And now you're looking at 2022 going, uh, how do I handle this? Exhaustion functions like a gateway drug to a whole host of unintended consequences in your life, including, but not limited to, moral failure. So I want to give you a quick lesson from elite athletes. Uh, one of my sons forwarded me a TED Talk. And in it, Dr. Steven Seeler shares a discovery that contrary to popular opinion a lot of elite athletes, like global elite athletes, we're talking um, top professional sports figures, we're talking about Olympic athletes, like people who win gold medals. How do they do their training? You would think that a lot of them do high-intensity training. And what he discovered to his surprise is that most of the world's best athletes actually train at the low-intensity level For 80% of their training. He actually divided training into three zones green, yellow, and red. If that sounds familiar, yeah, yeah. I did that in my book too, by the way, at your best. Green zone being low intensity, red zone being you can hardly breathe, you're just exhausted, and then yellow zone being in between. And what shocked him is world champion athletes do 80% of their training in the low intensity zone. And what that does is that allows them to train long and hard, and then when they need that burst, that's going to put them on the podium, Uh, then they can move into their red zone, but they've got a lot of strength developed. You know, I think leadership is the same way, and a lot of you have been living in the red zone. You're just exhausted all the time, you're tired, you're burned out, and exhaustion is a gateway drug. Now, if you've done that for two years, okay, you made it through, good for you. But I think year three is going to be a tipping point for a lot of leaders. If you didn't hit it this year, you're going to hit it next year. And here's what's at stake. Here are seven things that you're sacrificing or risking if you continue to lead at an unsustainable pace. Number one, your family. Um, I mean, you got nothing left. And you know what happens is you go home. And what do you got left to give your wife, your husband, your kids? Uh, nothing, right? <laughs> Zilch. Nada. You got nothing left in the tank. And sacrificing your family on the altar of leadership, in my view, isn't leadership. I did that for a few years. I would not recommend it. I was able to save my family and keep everybody together. But like, it's a terrible way to live. And even if you're working exhausting hours and you're moving the needle at work, if you're winning at work and losing at home, you're losing, period. Period. Second thing that exhaustion can lead you to, obviously, is burnout. Uh, By the way, if you're wondering whether you're burning out, I have a quiz that you can take. If you just go to burnoutindicator.com, that will give you an idea whether you are in burnout, whether you're going to burn out, what your risk level is. But yeah, you can burn out. And once you fall off the cliff of burnout, you kind of lose control, which is not good. Third thing is actually moral failure. Uh, Moral failure is, I believe, an unintended consequence of living in a state of perpetual exhaustion. It's not inevitable, uh, but it is increasingly likely the longer you lead on empty. Exhaustion really is the gateway drug to moral failure. There's an author a few years ago, Stephen Mansfield, who wrote a great book on how leaders end up in the ditch. And he said, you know, when leaders get exhausted, when they're isolated, if they stay too long, moral failure often follows. So this is why. When you're exhausted, bad things seem good and good things seem bad, and that's a perfect setup for moral failure. So I think that's at stake if you keep leading. I'm not saying you will. I'm just saying the odds go up the more tired you are. Okay, a couple more things that really are at stake if you're leading exhausted all the time. Terrible decision making. Um, An exhausted decision-maker is a terrible decision-maker. It's exceedingly difficult to make good decisions when you're tired. That's true personally. I mean, that's why at night, right? What happens in the morning, you're drinking like, you know, your smoothie and you're eating spinach. And then at night, you got the bag of Doritos open on the couch. Why? You're tired. That's what happens. And that happens when you're leading as well. If you're just tired all the time, you can't make great decisions. Uh, Fifth consequence, a defeated team. A defeated leader will eventually create a defeated team. Your team's passion level will rarely exceed yours as a leader. Uh, Sixth thing that's at stake is you're going to produce more of the same. If you're in a malaise right now as an organization, you will continue to be at a malaise if you are exhausted because you can't think straight and you can't be more creative. Brain research is increasingly showing that when you're rested, you're actually more creative. So when you're exhausted, You're less likely to get the breakthrough. And then finally, and this is a corollary to that, ineffectiveness, right? As more than one leader has said, the best thing you can bring to your job as a leader is your energy. Uh, You can sprint for a month, you can sprint for a season, but you cannot sprint for years. Ironically, in your desire to do more, if you really don't check your energy level, you'll end up accomplishing less and you'll end up being ineffective. And I've called this out before, but I think a lot of leaders have lived over the last few years going, well, just get me to a holiday. Just get me like, let me, travel's back. So maybe I'll just take a vacation or I'll go to the beach or the mountains or somewhere tropical and you know, sit in a hammock for a while and I'll be fine. And and the fallacy in that is that time off can't heal you if the problem is how you spend time on, right? If you're spending your time on exhausted, you can take a month off and feel great. But the first Monday back at 11 a.m., you feel like you got run over by a truck. That's why if you want a solution to this, a great way to end 2021 and start 2022 is to check out my new book, At Your Best. Uh, I am somebody who burned out uh, over 15 years ago, and uh, I've got a book out now. You can get that for a very low cost on Amazon or anywhere you like to get your books. It's called At Your Best. It's about getting time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. It's been a joy to help over 15,000 leaders jump into that messaging with the release of the book a couple months ago. And uh, we're getting notes every day from leaders who are saying, I can't believe the difference that the strategies in At Your Best are making. It's designed to help you get back your margin so you can live on mission, so that you can actually be more effective at work, more present at home. These are the strategies I've used for over 15 years now. And I I can tell you they've been field-tested proven and I would love to help you with that. I've also got a companion video masterclass that you can check out. Everything's available at atyourbesttoday.com. So if you go to atyourbesttoday.com, you can get the book. If you're interested, there's a companion video masterclass and that also has uh, some study questions for you. And uh, hey, we're just here in your corner and I want to see 2022 and even the end of 2021. Like don't write the year off yet. Uh, see you live at a sustainable pace. Thanks so much for listening, leaders. I'm so grateful for you. Back next time with a fresh episode. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.